0: Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Welcome back. Last week we had a a chat with Daryl Bishop who's the Cold Ministry Facilitator for Baptist Churches of South Australia. Uh, So this week I've asked Daryl to share a sermon with us. So Daryl, can you tell us a little bit about why you've chosen uh, this sermon to share with us? Okay. Whenever I've gone into new ministry settings, I often find myself dipping into a bag of about four or five sermons which I've actually preached on a number of occasions. And these sermons provide Uh, the congregation with a little glimpse of, perhaps a little bit more about who I am, Mm -hmm. a glimpse of those things that I value, and also kind of lay out a foundation for ministry as I move into the future. And amongst um, those sermons are uh, Jesus' Kingdom Manifesto in Luke Mm -hmm. 4, Feeding of the 5,000, the parables of the workers in the vineyard, Peter's experience of walking on water, Isaiah's invitation to all to come to him, uh, to come to God, those Mm -hmm. who are thirsty. Um, And also that image uh, in Isaiah 40 of soaring like an eagle. And these sermons um, provide an opportunity to open up uh, the themes around grace, Mm -hmm. invitation, the generosity of the Father, the values of his kingdom, ministry at the margins, and the ongoing presence of Jesus in every part of our lives. Now they're moulded and shaped for a particular context in which um, presenting them, but uh, just to reflect a little bit of who I am mm-hmm. and lay that foundation into the future. Great. So this sermon that we're going to be listening to today, which which one is it? <laughs> I'd love to be able to share uh, a sermon around the feeding of the five thousand. And it actually goes back to a four day silent prayer retreat which I was on a number of years ago. And and I was struggling um, with vocational ministry at that time, wondering whether I really had it to continue on. And God spoke uh, in an incredible way through this particular uh, story and uh, where I I discovered that, uh, you know, what I have got to offer is more than enough. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure that God's going to speak to all of us through it today. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. I'm a real softie for curry and rice, particularly southern Indian curries. Whether it's a birthday or getting together with a, with family, let's order Indian. One stage I even did a six-week WA Indian Cooking Course. Can you imagine, however, having curry and rice for breakfast, lunch and dinner? Can you imagine no knives, no forks, no spoons? Just your fingers. That was my experience on six short-term mission trips to rural India between 2007 and 2016. While there, I found every sense of who I am being confronted and challenged in one way or another. The extreme wealth. The poverty. Goat herdsmen dressed in a loin cloth leading a herd of goats down a rural pathway. Talking on a mobile phone. Satellite dishes set up outside thatch roof huts. Children begging. Kids working in stone quarries leprosy. It was in India that I caught a small glimpse of what it meant to live in a place where I was not part of the dominant or majority culture, where my skin was a different color and my knowledge of the language and the culture virtually zero. But I fell in love with India, the sights, the sounds, the people, the country and went back again And again, the teams of people in which I was involved ranged from three to ten people. At an invitation of a family, we stayed in a township of around 30,000 people that invited us to India to be involved in a range of ministries in the surrounding tribal and village areas where they were serving. As we listened to stories, as we were involved in school ministry, Believers' seminars, worship services, asset-based community development programs, micro-businesses. I had this nagging sense that we were learning so much more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus than what we ourselves were bringing to India. At one pastor's school of around 250 pastors, I was so often in tears Many had arrived the previous day to praise through the night in preparation for the school. Those pastors who had Bibles during their breaks were writing out on scrap pieces of paper the verses of Scripture that we had referenced to be able to give to the pastors who didn't own a Bible. On our first trip to India back in 2007, We went to a tribal prayer house about two hours by four-wheel drive from where we were staying. It was in such a beautiful setting as we made our way up into the hills, so lush, so green, so rugged. On the side of the road, we saw monkeys playing. We heard stories of black bears in the forest. The prayer house was on top of a small hill surrounded by a mat of green grass. This prayer house was one of the better buildings, with a hard mud floor, a shingled roof through which the beams of sunlight shined, tinsel wrapped around the rafters. The pastor and his family's belongings piled up in one corner, for the building was also their home. There were no seats, no pews. For the people sat cross-legged on mats on the floor, the women on the right, the men on the left. There was a a PA system, but it wasn't for the 100 or so people inside the building. For the speakers sat on the windowsills pointing outwards into the fields and surrounding village. Unlike here in Australia, it was customary that we as special guests arrived late after everyone else, just like at a wedding. Besides, the event always took precedence over the advertised starting time. It was a wonderful morning of sharing of testimonies, of object lessons, of worship, of prayer, of teaching. These Indian believers did not want just one sermon, but two to three in a row, and every sermon needed to be translated into the local language. While we'd been together, there was another team out the back cooking up a big pot of rice and a range of curries. As 2pm arrived, there was a time for one-on-one prayer ministry. In our worship services here in Australia, four to five people may come forward for prayer and the rest stay back. There in India four to five people will stay back and the rest will come forward for prayer. People eventually filed out of the building and sat down on the grass in groups of five, ten, fifteen, twenty at a time. Food is such an important part of any worship or community event. The children brought out large stacks of plates, well not made of china or plastic or even stainless steel, but made of dried banana leaves stitched together. They put one down in front of each person, sitting cross-legged on the grass. Next came a big heap of rice piled on the centre of the banana leaf plate. Using their fingers, for there was no cutlery, the rice was moulded into a volcano shape on which was tipped some goat curry or vegetable curry or... As I watched with fascination, I was taken back to this story of the feeding of the 5,000. It was so much as I imagined, except instead of rice and curry, on the menu was bread and fish. Whereas there were some 100 people for lunch at that village prayer house in India. In the account that was read from Mark's Gospel, there were some 5,000 men, women and children. Prior to the feeding of the 5,000, Mark records the beheading of John the Baptist. John was Jesus' cousin. Some of his disciples had been followers of John before Jesus' baptism and commission for ministry. Can you imagine... How Jesus and the disciples were feeling. Put yourself in their shoes. The grief, the confusion, the exhaustion. Jesus tried to get his disciples away on their own to spend time with them. That was Jesus, the pastor. Come with me, he says, by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. However, Mark tells us that a crowd follows them around the lake. Filled with compassion. For they were like sheep without a shepherd, without a pastor. We are told that Jesus began teaching them many things. Compassion. The word in the original language is like which means to be moved to the very depths of one's bowels. Such was Jesus' compassion for this crowd. Can you imagine being there that day as Jesus moved amongst the crowd, teaching and preaching and healing the sick? But I find it really interesting that even though the crowd were enthralled and gripped by his teaching, it's not the teaching and preaching that is remembered, that is recorded. It is the multiplication of the five loaves and two fish. As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the nearby villages and buy themselves some food to eat. Can I suggest that the disciples were not so much concerned about people getting something to eat, But this was an honor-shame culture. Just like I'd encountered in India. This was a culture in which hospitality and welcome, which included food, was paramount. The disciples knew they needed to provide food. Not to do so would have brought shame. But they couldn't feed that many people. So a face-saving decision was made. Jesus this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the nearby villages and buy themselves some food to eat. In the words of the Indian National Sport, Jesus answer Knock the disciples for a six. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But Jesus, all we have here is five loaves and two fish, five small buns and two little sardines. These are not large barramundi. This is one boy's packed lunch. In restoring honour, in allusion to the provision of God providing manna in the wilderness, Jesus was about to teach the disciples He was about to teach the crowd an important value in God's kingdom. Five loaves and two fish. After Jesus had directed everyone to sit down on the grass, he took the loaves and the fish, lifted them up into the air and blessed them. He then handed the bread and the fish to his disciples to distribute to the crowd. Now the question is where did the multiplication of the loaves and the fish take place? Back in 2 Kings in chapter 4 there's a similar story to which the feeding of the 5,000 is often compared. The story of Elisha instructing his protesting servant to feed 100 men with 20 small barley loaves. It's a story that suggests along with the immediate context in which the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded, that the miracle of multiplication did not actually take place in Jesus' hands. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, held them up to heaven. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth, breaks the bread and fish hands it to these disciples and points the disciples in the direction of the crowd how would you feel if you were peter and was handed a small handed half a small bun and the head of a sardine and pointed in the direction of the first group of 50 big hungry fishermen These blokes may not have eaten since early that morning. They were hungry. They were so hungry that they could probably have eaten half an ox. What are they going to do if they find out that this is all a joke and the understood cultural norms were not being adhered to? Can you imagine as Peter approaches The first person? You know, it's a great day for fasting. Mmm. A little bit overweight. Do you think you should be on a diet? With perspiration oozing from Peter's hands, he takes what little he has, that sardine head, that half a bun, and gives it to the first person. And as he does something so wonderful and amazing happens for as it gives away what little he has he sees it multiplying in his hands that was the experience of elisha's servant that was peter's experience the more he gives away the more it is multiplied and throughout the crowd each one of the disciples experienced the same thing. Indeed, to the point that once everyone had eaten and was satisfied, the disciples pick up 12 baskets of leftovers. There was more than enough. More than enough. Each of us are here today. We may think that what we have, our gifts, Our skills, our abilities, our dreams, our longings, our desire to serve God, to demonstrate the values of His kingdom, are so insignificant. And yet when we offer what little we have to God, as we step out, as we give away what little we have, we find it to be more than enough small boy, with nothing more than a small packed lunch. As we offer what little we have to Jesus, we will discover that it's more than enough. This was my experience in India. Who am I? No one special, indeed, probably more conscious of my failings than most. Getting up in front of a group of people doesn't normally come natural for me and yet as I stepped out of my comfort zone at one stage speaking at a rally of over 2,000 people at another time asked to take seven sessions at a pastor school and I'd only prepared three continuing to speak at night at a rally of over 400 people following a power failure and the organisers asking me to continue to preach, no longer being able to see my notes. Another time, spending many, many hours laying hands on people and praying for them even though they didn't understand a word of English and I didn't understand a word of Telugu. I've discovered that what I see as negligible, God can take and use to accomplish His purposes in His kingdom. We don't have to go overseas, for God is right here and right now bringing people here to Adelaide from every tribe, language, people and nation people in transition, people experiencing change. We have an opportunity to join God on His mission in expressing His love, His hospitality, and sharing His good news. In offering what little we have to God, it may seem so insignificant, but we'll find it is more than enough. We may feel that our faith is so faltering and small and negligible. But when our faith is in Jesus, it is more than adequate. We may feel our gifts, our skills, our dreams, the imaginings of our hearts, our abilities, so little, so inconsequential. But as we offer them to God, we'll find they're more than sufficient an opportunity for service in God's kingdom is only limited by our God-given imagination, our God-given faith. I wonder, what is your kingdom dream? I wonder, what is God laying on your heart? Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe, and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's essay, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with another special guest.